Hi, everybody. Welcome for another week of Broadway Breakdown. Just sit back, relax, and let us present to you Broadway Breakdown's Beauty and the Beast. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. When you did that intro, you go, let me present to you. And I was going to jump in and be like, your dinner. And then I'm like, oh, wait. I was going to like say it word for word. And then I was like, I did not write down the script. (laughs) And if I like had more time, I would be like thinking of it and singing the entire song until I got to that point and be like, oh, this is the exact wording. I know. When you said sit sit back and relax, I was thinking you were going to say, and I was going to go, be our guest. And that would be so awkward because it's not where you're going with it. It'd be funny if everyone spoke out and just said a different phrase all at the same time. We're that excited, you guys. We're that excited. We're We're here. We're talking Beauty and the Beast. Such an iconic musical, such an iconic film. All of us, I know, grew up with it Mm because we're all 90s children. Um, Yes. We're going to get right into it, but we're going to introduce Some ourselves first. We're a little first. bit older than 90s children. You were still a child in the 90s. Though. I was a child in the 90s. Yes. There you go. Then I was a teenager 90s in the 90s. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. You can reach me at bfips14 on Instagram and Twitter, bfips1214 on Snapchat. And we have a full panel today. Yay. So exciting. We have to my left. Hi, everyone. I'm Marcy Serafini. You can follow me on Twitter at SerafiniTV. And what's up, guys? It's Dakota T. Jones, and you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Mr. Dakota T. Jones. And I'm 123JackieB on all platforms, except Snapchat, where I'm JackieB123. Snapchat's right. just a little... It they doesn't they like the you. numbers doesn't like in the, the front. Snapchat's um, weird. Yeah. And we're yeah. going to have a very special guest joining us in just a little bit. Mark Kudish, who took over the role of Gaston on Broadway. We're very excited to talk with him. Um, before we get into that, though, we're going to do a little bit of talking about the differences between the film and the theater show. And I'm talking the cartoon film because I haven't seen the new film. Ah. And this play obviously was not written when the new film came out. Right. And right. next mm-hmm. week we will be discussing the new film. So stay tuned for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to Don't see it. Don't really stay tuned for the entire week watching this film. <laughs> you know, yeah. take a break, watch it, come back. So let's get into some of the differences they had in between the cartoon, though, and this show. Because obviously there are differences that have to be made when you take something that can't be kind of frame-by-frame montage and put it on stage. Because they did have a lot of montage kind of things going on mm-hmm. in the cartoon. So... One of the things I read was that the Beast, they wanted the Beast to have a lot more emotional depth. They wanted him to be kind of meaner but also more likable all at the same time. Did you guys... In the theater show. In the theater show. I mean, I completely agree with that because in the theater show, you had the added songs that Beast actually sings, his ballads, his his really long-form versions of songs, which gave his character more emotional depth, and you can humanize with him because on the outside, he does look a monster, and he does have, you know, animalistic qualities, but when he sings, he sings as a human, Mm -hmm. and that's what you relate to as the audience. I totally, totally agree. I remember um, just from being in it, that was my first role, I was Chip the Teacup in a high school production. I was like fifth, fifth or sixth grade, and I remember just listening to the beast and his his solo and i was like wow this is not something that i remember in the film and it you just the emotional depth and just his cry of rage and it just seemed like yeah he, it, he went through like an emo- emotional roller coaster with him and his character had more depth and and it, and it got somewhere by the end of it where in the film i love the film but it felt like he just kind of was angry and then all of a sudden he was nice you know what i mean the only thing that to me gets lost in translation in the musical and again like i love the musical but 
I am such a huge fan of comedy, and I know that the Belle character and the Gaston and LeFou, they're supposed to be like the comedic anchors here, as well as, you know, to a certain extent, um, Lumiere and Cogsworth. But the Beast is really funny in the musical, in the original, um, not the musical, in the original movie, he's really funny in the cartoon. And here he's not really funny at all. And well, I think some of that is because in the film you have all those facial shots and he does the weird things right. with his face, which obviously you can't get from a stage production because you're right. too far away. And I always yeah. remember that scene where uh, you know, after they, there's the wolf attack and she comes in and she's trying to nurse him and they, they have that kind of like funny banter back and forth. I I love the humor in The Beast and, and that's the only thing that I kind of miss. From the from theater the show, show? From the theater okay. show. Okay, that totally and, makes sense, though. Yeah, and I think that's <clears> what the f- animated film does so well, because you can really play with the emotional facial expressions, but you got to remember, in the theater, this is an actual human being under costuming. And I think, and I think, <laughs> yeah, and I think that like adds to the actual physicality of the performance, because it is hard to really show a lot of facial expressions exactly. that the film can show, but the, in real life, you can't. I know. I, from the theater version that I was in, it took the Beast six hours to get ready Every every show, oh, yeah. and he put like prosthetics on, and he got the costume and everything. So underneath all of that, like you're lucky if you can even sing still. Like your face is frozen because it's got all these things attached to it. So I can't even imagine. So I totally get that because in the in the film you're able to see pick up those little things that they put in the animated mm-hmm. details. Where in this it's like kind of like a frozen face that and they're able to sing still, and you can kind of see the eyes maybe if you're in the front row. But <laughs> other than that, it is difficult. Um, and then equally, they wanted to make Belle kind of like a more headstrong, more determined character than she was in the film. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's been a little while since I've seen the show. I think it's been four or five years. But, like, I mean, she does stay pretty true to the character I felt in the in the film. I mean, I guess there are some points in it that I remember her being a little bit more kind of angry. But she gets angry. I think she's pretty headstrong and determined as it is in the cartoon. Yeah, I think so. I think the film, it shows there... Uh, in the animated version, I think there are moments where she can be a damsel in distress, whereas in throughout the whole musical on stage is that you can tell just her attitude and how she views other people and how she takes on a situation. She's really headstrong and more independent. She doesn't really need anyone to help her. Yeah. She has those less moments of damsel in distress. Definitely. I love how in, in the theater version, just that song where, where she's like listening to Gaston and it's like, this guy is insane. And I love how they stayed true in the film and the theater version there where where she just doesn't pay him any mind. And of course in the film where she, she like lets him out the door and he like falls into the pond. That was. Like, <laughs> yeah. I wish that they could have recreated that part for the theater version because that was my favorite part. Just dumped him in mud yeah. and then somehow made him magically <laughs> exactly. before his <laughs> messy. <laughs> on his head. I know. Definitely. Um, I, I, don't, I, I too see them as like two sides of the same coin like I didn't I mean Belle wasn't that damsley in the movie to me I mean she does get up a bat and try to fight off the wolves and she's the only reason she's not able to is because she's a tiny person and he's a giant beast that to me was the only difference it's not like she's like oh I guess I'll shudder and cower in horror now she she's she was ready yeah she was ready and I mean she's ready to spend the night in a creepy old mansion and replace her dad as a prisoner. I yeah. mean, I I think considering the circumstances, she's not damsley in the first place. And to me, what Susan Egan, who was the original Belle, brought her. to it was that she's super quirky. And mm-hmm. so Belle became, I guess, less of kind of like an archetypal character where you can 
you can kind of insert your own emotions on her where she became more of a defined character. Quick little side story, though, that Susan Egan actually got cast because she was quirky. She thought she wasn't, like, pretty enough to play the part. Um, and she was, like, reading a book in the corner at the audition, and they're like... <laughs> There you go. There right you go. there, that's our girl. I'm sure everyone Egan. else was being so extra and like in the audition. Like, they, yeah, they said like everyone else was around. like trying to be the movie Belle, and, and she was just corner, actually like, is just the movie. I love that. That's <laughs> in, that's amazing. I love little stories like that. Well, also in for the headstrong aspect in the theater version, the, there are more scenes where Belle's actually acting opposite of a man. And you can see her personality and she's kind of, not really combative, but like she, she holds her own against all these alpha males in the show. And I feel like in the movie there's only maybe one or two moments. Mm-hmm. But throughout the whole production, there are mo- more moments where she's talking against males and you mm-hmm. can see her personality. Definitely. One of the creepier parts of the play, for me at least, <laughs> is because they did have to change the mythology a little bit because obviously we have full-grown people playing the objects and they are not actual size to the objects. So the creator, um, the or writer... sometimes Chip, who's in a... Did you guys do the production where you're in like a box? And yeah, I was in cart. like a cart, cart. and my <laughs> head stuck out and then they put this little teacup over me, but it was crazy because I'd have to duck in there and I'd have to stay in there I for mean, a long I mean, it's still a much larger time. teacup, though, than a normal-sized right. teacup. Definitely. But the mm-hmm. writer, the way that she, she came up with this is that instead of them being the objects already, they are slowly changing into the objects. And then she even wrote that if they do not get the spell broken, that these objects will, once they become the actual objects, the people will die. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they will just be objects. And I was yeah. like, that is dark. Very dark. <laughs> you know, I remember that though, because I remember Cogsworth having a line where he's like, I'm so stiff, like I can't move my arms or something's happening inside of me, like something something along those lines. Yeah. And he was just freaking out like, I, this is the end type of a thing. And I remember that being a difference from the film. Yeah, well, even in the production, Cogsworth, there's a scene where he, like um, from the night before, he gets a turnkey in the back of his, he, yes. he literally transforms more into a clock and than he's like, he did what's at this? the beginning. What's on your back? That's yeah, what Lumiere like, was saying. I have yeah. an appendage and stuff. So like throughout the production you can see each object yeah. like gain more slowly, attributes to become the object slowly becoming are. the it just yeah. like I read the part mm-hmm. of them dying and I was like I felt just so bad because I was like the staff didn't turn you away right <laughs> I mean I know. mythology aside I mean wasn't wasn't the beast technically like a child when he turned her away if you look at what the time I mean, he was what is. like 17 yeah he was like a teenager but there like I, I think there are the lines in the movie and in the play that, like, yes, the staff didn't necessarily turn the haggard woman away, but they helped create the beast, the man who he was. Like, they didn't they were, do anything. Right. They didn't they, maybe prevent him They helped him aid from... to having him be a bad person. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I, I, I like, see that. Politically, <laughs> when you look at this, you're like, these people, these poor people are hired to help this, like, stuck-up prince anyway. They yeah, because you can't talk back to him. to do with him And you'll get fired if you talk back Exactly. To him. Yeah. So it's like, I don't think it was necessarily their fault. But one thing I want to ask you guys, would you guys turn away some weird lady if she was at your door wanting to sleep in your home? Like, I, I mean, would. Yeah, I mean, it would depend on the circumstances, but I feel like I would. Like, yeah. I might get her an Uber to, like, a homeless Stranger shelter. Stranger danger. <laughs> Stranger danger. Like, yeah, that's like, a maybe I thing. might, like, give her some money and be like, or get her a hotel room if I had yeah. the money for that. But... Get her an Uber to, like, a homeless shelter. If, like, shelter. just some random... Like, depending on, like, how it went about. Like, if some random, like, old, haggard lady 
was just like, I want to sleep in your house, I'd be like, one, I have no room for you. I'm right. so sorry. Second <laughs> of all, like, who, I mean, you can't trust people. I mean, what if she steals some of your stuff and, and runs away with your valuables? Like, she'd yeah. probably be out the door with my Look Mac computer to my and my Rob. That's what, exactly what happened. He's like, here, stay in my, uh, room for the night at this church and I'm so nice to him giving you food and then he steals his silver I don't yeah, think it's a matter true. of like uh, if you turn them away it's how you turn them away that's true and that's how the beast got you know he was damned like, in, in also cause because he's in a giant castle where he has like literally no family members and so you could assume that like he has plenty eh, of space if she steals something from the one wing that he isn't living in it's probably not a big deal or have it's the staff watch that. her it's, you know? yeah. it's how the beast actually turned away that's true. and yeah. like mocked her and be like no whatever yeah. get out of here that makes it's sense like, yeah in real life we pr- all probably would say no I'm sorry we there's no say, space I'm sorry stranger but danger you can, yeah. you can have <laughs> actual tact to be like I'm sorry you know yeah. and yeah. the beast his behavior and how he turned her away made him become that's the beast that's a very good point because he wouldn't have been like if he would have been like I'm sorry I just don't feel comfortable he wouldn't have turned into a beast yeah you exactly. can sleep in the shed it's, with the it's how you do it horses yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can Jesus you out here it's in the stables oh my gosh um, and then all the last bit of thing I had was that the wardrobe and the feather duster got larger roles in this show Mm, I like yeah. them. They're fun because they also add to the the female comedic release mm-hmm. in the show. Madame de la Grande Bouche. Bouche. Mm. So good. <laughs> and Madame with a big mouth. I well, she does. Mouth. Well, she does. <laughs> I love her getting a bigger part because the wardrobe was always one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So having her, and you know, she was kind of like, the other people were like Lemire and Mrs. Potts there to help Belle, but she was actually like comforting her first out mm-hmm. of everybody and yeah. being like, I know it's hard, dear, but it's going to be okay. Like, let's put you in a fancy dress. Yeah. yeah. I love that character. It's and a great the, the character. name itself, man. And it's also another character to be a nurturing female you know, character for Belle to lean on and have that emotional support. Mm-hmm. She's not going to get it from the men. <laughs> I mean, Plus, she got it, it as far as the yeah. feather duster is concerned, it looks better like that Lumiere's not just hitting on some random woman <laughs> who has like no agency Wait, whatsoever. Wait, are you ta- you're talking about Babette? Babette. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Did she they, was... I've, I've heard that like in the film, someone told me that in the film that her name's Plumette. Really? Oh, in the new film. And is it in the new film? Because someone yeah. said in the old film, and I think it's in that like winter Christmas special film that they made. Oh. I think they called her Plumette, yeah. which is weird because that came after yeah. the after theater show, so why not just call her Babette? But. That's really weird, That's yeah. Interesting. Really weird. It's like, why not just keep <laughs> yeah. it fluid? You know, like, keep it the same. But. Spoiler, in the new film of 2017 version, they call it Plumet. Plumet. Yeah. You just spoiled it for everyone, the entire movie. I am that person. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving in, I, think, I guess we're uh, waiting a little bit longer in for the, Skype, for the Skype call, so we'll see. Hopefully that gets up soon, but... Let's move on to the music of this show because there's... Oh my gosh, the songs they added. Love them, love them, done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it was iffy because Alan Menken's writing partner had died. Of the AIDS. one from the 1991 film. Just so we can all remember... Ashman. Yeah, how, how much the AIDS epidemic affected that community. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Tim Rice, um, who also had to take over for Ashman for uh, Lion King, I believe... Or no, Aladdin. Aladdin, sorry. Uh, he, Tim Rice has done quite a few things yeah, since yeah, then. Now. Yeah, not since then now, but he yeah. he had to take over to be the lyricist. And he was, both Alan Menken and him were nervous about having to write together because they were like, the songs aren't going to like have the same feeling. Mm-hmm. It's different, which it is, but I still get the same feeling from, you know, all that's going on. Yeah. I mean, I love that they added 
two other Gaston songs. They have Me and then Maison de Lune, which are like two of my favorite Broadway songs of all time. Yeah. Yeah, and then one of my favorite is, um, you know, Changing Me and Home. And it looks like we do have Mark on the line with us now. Hi, Mark. Hello. Hi. Yeah, hi. How are you? Thank you for joining us. I know it's probably very late where you are. Or very early, I guess. It's late. (laughs) (laughs) It's late. We were actually just talking about the music in the new show and how they got the added songs. We're talking about the new Gaston songs they added in, which I'm sure you were very happy to have some added songs. I have not seen the film yet. No, not the film, the the theater show, how they added Me and Maison de Lune. Oh, you mean from from the the original original, uh, animated film? Yes. Right? Yes, Yes, correct. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, well, me, me is a great, me was great, me is a great song. Uh, they kept adding things to it as we went along. So, I mean, what I mean is, uh, when we, uh, when they put out the Los Angeles company, uh, they made some adjustments and then they put them into the Broadway company and then they did the national tour and then they made some adjustments <laughs> and then they put it into the Broadway company. And so like, Gosh, I mean, like there was a fireman's hole that was added and there was like all this stuff added to me, literally just like physical movement. And I remember uh, when they came in and I just was like, why don't you just have me carry a kitchen sink across the stage? Let's just finish this. Um, but it's great. I mean, but wow. Uh, yeah. A tough song to sing when you have to do all that stuff. Yeah. Imagine so. My other question is kind of random because you, um, they have that tavern scene where they had, well, I call it the tavern scene, where they have the um, the steins, the beer steins that they're clinking. Yeah. What makes that noise? I've always been the curious. Steins. What? The, the beer steins. It's the steins themselves that's making that noise? Oh, yeah. Listen, oh. we used, I mean, we used, uh, they were pewter beer steins, and they were real. Wow. Oh, uh, wow. So the sound that you heard was the sound that we made. It was honest percussion. Wow. That's really incredible. Oh yeah. I remember when we did the uh, when we did the Thanksgiving Day parade, it was about twenty eight degrees outside. Oh gosh. <laughs> I just uh, watched that video. You know, when you do the Thanksgiving Day parade, it's like out on the street, it's really cold and you're dancing on concrete. And <laughs> I remember it was so cold, we were out there doing the clink and by the time we got like back into these, you know, like honey wagon vans to keep us warm <laughs> Uh, all of our knuckles were bleeding because we oh were hitting gosh. each other and we couldn't feel it. Oh, my God. Wow. That oh, is yeah. crazy. I literally just watched that video today, like, again. So that's crazy to know, like, some more of the inside information. That's crazy. It was it was so much fun, though. It yeah. was so much fun. Doing that on the, uh, the for the parade was great. And I loved that number in the show. Um, I love the clink line. I love Gaston. I love Gaston reprise. It was just like we all, I mean, it was just kind of where the characters really cut out. Like they really cut up. They really just sort of like Gaston completely exposes himself and Lafou really exposes himself. And um, uh, it was just joyful uh, to do that particular number. Which was the most uh, challenging number for you to do? Was it me or? Me was rough. Because me was completely choreographed. Like, I'm not kidding you. And, and it's, it's sort of like very classic in, the, in, in, in terms of a baritone. It's a very classic song, but it has like a pretty good range to it. But every time you'd have to like be hitting like for us an F, a nice full F, um, you'd have to be doing something physical that would make you sort of 
uh, tense up when in fact you actually need to open and expand, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I mean, and you'd be dipping her here and dipping her there and grabbing her and throwing her over your shoulder and you'd be, you know, singing, you know, <laughs> and you'd have to do all this stuff when you really want to keep your voice focused. Yeah. Now, that said, I would say it was probably like the biggest payoff song because mm-hmm. of all that stuff. Uh, you know, um, which was fun to do. I mean, at the end of the day, because it's about the audience, right? So, like, if the audience was having a really good time, no matter how hard it might have been on any particular day, it was worth it. And then at the end of it, I would go into a full split. (laughs) I literally, I literally would go into a full split right at the end of the song because I just thought that Gaston should be absolutely compromised in that moment. And so I just added my own level of difficulty by like <laughs> going into this, what he thought was a very sexy lunge to realize Belle wasn't there anymore. And then I lost my balance in the lunge and just slowly went into a full split. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. That is. Oh, incredible. it was great because you could see the audience was in pain looking at me. Yes. <laughs> that was the best part of it because they thought, oh my God, that's got to hurt. Um, and so I played that. Wow. Was um, doing the split, was that hard with all of, cause don't you have like a lot of padded, uh, like to make Gaston appear very large. Don't you guys have like padded costumes? Well, let me tell you something about that padding. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to pad me. Wow. <laughs> they had to take the padding out for me. <laughs> now that's pretty cool. That's, that's a terrible out. thing to say, but it's true. Um, I was, I mean, I was built in such a way that they got rid of the padding on my suit because I was sort of already classically kind of in that, like, uh, not to take away from uh, anyone else that had done the role. Uh, I, I replaced Burke Moses very early on because he went out to L.A. to open the show out there. Okay. So I came into New York about, I want to say, seven months into when it had opened. And Burke was very powerful, but very sort of long. He was actually, uh, he had used to have been a dancer, so he had these massive legs, but this very lithe and long body. So uh, I think they just like sort of gave him a little bit of extra padding to just sort of give him more of that V because Mm -hmm. he had this great long body. I'm built like a barrel, so (laughs) I sort of already had that. Again, that's like I also was like, you know, a lot of the guys had to wear like a hair merkin on their chest. Mm-hmm. I don't need to do that. I got hair. Every <laughs> <night. So laughs> you know, every last inch of me is covered with hair. It's true. That is uh, so great. Literally true. Um, <laughs> that was another fun part of doing that role is that just it was sort of like this is embarrassing, but I'm pretty much this person. So you got off um, easy with the costume. Cause I've, I read that a lot of people in that show had such intense costumes that they had various injuries and various. Oh yeah. Oh, listen, you know, look, here's the thing about doing eight shows a week, you know, and, and I can't wait to see the film. I'm very excited to see the film. Uh, I love that show. That show was a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a big difference between doing film and doing eight shows a week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't think that people realize when they go to see a Broadway show the amount of effort that really goes into doing that. And I always said to people, Gaston is the young man's job because it's so physical. I mean, I had, yes, I had a great costume. They just had to, like, rope me into it. Like, literally, it tied on each side. 
I was wearing tights. I was wearing this leather thing. I had my big wig. Off I went. Everyone else was like playing a utensil <laughs> or, you know, this big. And yes, there was a lot of injury because I can tell you this right now. Standing like this all night long mm. over the course of two years, you're going to have injury. I know that sounds crazy. Or like, you know, I remember uh, Gary Beach, you know, with his candles, oh. you know, holding those things up eight shows a week like this all the time in this position, you're going to have real issues. Muscular. We had physical therapy that was there all the time for everybody. Wow. Um, I had the best costume in terms of comfort. Therefore, I was given the most physically compromising positions all night long. <laughs> so I had my own things to deal with. Um, like I, everything was choreographed. I never sort of stood still. Uh, the only time I ever stood still was when I like jumped up on the well, like when we all went after the beast. And mm -hmm. that was the one moment that I can remember where the whole stage was still for just literally a moment. And then of course, after that, I go climbing through the castle, and then we get up on the part, you know, the rampart, 14 feet in the air. We fight, and then I fall to my death. I mean, like, it was just this never-ending thing. So there were a lot of injuries all the time. But that's the nature of, of Broadway. There are always going to be injuries because eight shows a week, you're being incredibly physical. Mm. Now, you, you talk about the, the physical aspect of your character before you did Gaston. Um, did you have to do any physical training to get into condition, that physical shape? No, I mean, that to me is a part of the job. You already better be in the physical shape to do it because you have to be in physical shape to do anything. Mm -hmm. And at least in that part of my life, I was very physical in the roles that I played. Um, so I kept myself in shape. Um, and then, of course, doing a show continued to keep you in shape. But I just think that's a part of the job. I didn't do anything specific for Gaston. I didn't have to. Um, but to be in this business, to do that kind of thing eight shows a week, um, if you're not in healthy, strong shape um, and taking care of yourself, you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So for this one, we know that you stepped into a role and you did the same thing with Finding Neverland as well. When you're stepping into a role, and, and in this case, it was also, both cases were also a movie before. When you're stepping into a role like that and a couple of other people have played them or depicted them, how do right. you approach that? How do you approach well, something like that? It's interesting because me stepping into Finding Neverland was a unique situation in that I had actually created the role of Hook to begin with. Oh, okay. I was the first hook. And uh, it was with a different director, and it was with different writers and composer. And when it went over to London and they made the switch of all of those people, I sort of um, – I had other projects that were going on as well, and I felt a certain loyalty to the composers and the director. Um, and also, like, Hand of God had started to happen – so I just decided I'm going in this direction. So what was interesting to me doing Finding Neverland and coming in and replacing Kelsey uh, was to see those things that still remain from when I had originally worked on it. Not just me, but I mean like just the play itself mm -hmm. and what was still there or what had gone or the direction that it had gone in. So it was interesting because I had had a connection to that show and was really happy that I had been asked to come back 
into the show. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that was like, and that was one of those situations where I was just happy to step in and take advantage of like some really smart actors who had done some really great work. Mm-hmm. Um, and with beauty, it was so early on, even still, like it was interesting with beauty because beauty kept changing. Um, what I mean by that is, is when they went out to LA and they were working on the LA show, they continued to work on the show. Uh, and that happens okay. a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should ever stop the work just because you open somewhere. It doesn't mean that you may necessarily be finished with it. Mm-hmm. So I actually had a voice in my, in terms of playing Gaston, I really put my own stamp on that thing. Um, and for the length of time I was in the show, I would say that I very deeply influenced how Gaston was played from there on. Um, because they continue to make changes, I was there when changes were being made or when changes were being put into the show. And so I had my voice in those moments to say, okay, but what if I did this or what if I did that or what we did this? And because they were still in this pliable state with the show, it continued to morph. And so I was a part of that process of it. Uh, and with Finding Neverland, I really genuinely just sort of stepped in. I gave it my own feeling, mm-hmm. but it was pretty much the show as it was. But I loved it. I had such a good time. And I'd never done that before. Like, I just went in for a limited time, and I'd never done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed it. I just think, you know, look, you walk in, you're a confident actor. You, you have your personality and your point of view to offer. And if you're fortunate in those situations, the actors before you have done such great work, you know, you're already walking into something that makes such wonderful sense. But, you know, I mean, those are the really the only two times that I've ever done that before. Right. You know, every other time I, I, I had a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not lying. I love walking into Finding Neverland. That was the best. Yeah. I'm so I'm I'm actually going to see it uh, next weekend, so I'm so excited. The touring cast. Oh, great! The and they're cast. great, and yeah. I, they're great, and you're going to love it. It's actually a totally incredibly sweet show. Uh, I thought really well constructed. The music is actually surprisingly beautiful, and that comes from somebody who had a deep bias about it. Like when they offered it to me, uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein just wanted me to go back into the show. And I just said yes without even knowing what it looked like or what it sounded like because it was just sort of like, let's do this for a couple of months. And I was so surprised at how smart it was. Arrogant me. I was so surprised (laughs) how smart and intelligent it was and how much I actually liked the music. Like, I was so happy. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to enjoy this. Um, And it was such a good cast, such a good cast. The ensemble held that thing together like nobody's business. And I'm, the audiences had such a good time. I, I just, and, and, and in truth, look, creating a show, it's years of hard work and sweat, you know, and mm-hmm. sweat equity. To be able to walk into a show in seven days and sort of get the payoff on it and not have to bleed for it, yeah. selfishly, I, it was like a luxury. It was, <laughs> it was fun to do that. Because then right after that, I was going to, you know, work on a world premiere of a new opera. So it was that blood and sweat and, you know, digging in. So it was this wonderful experience of honestly surfing on the wave of other people's talent. Now, with um, plays like Finding Neverland and Beauty and the Beast, where it's all very mystical and magical, as opposed to like, you know, I know you do nine to five and stuff like that, where it's all set in kind of a very 
definitive, definitive set. set. Is it does it help you get into the show more and get into the character more to have these huge sets and have these huge special effects happening? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Okay, so let me tell you why, guys. Uh, and specifically with Beauty and the Beast. I got the best stories from Beauty and the Beast. Like, well, yeah. I got great stories from Beauty. Because the set always broke down. Oh, wow. So all that uh-huh. mystical, magical stuff that actually works on, like, computers and, and on a track on the floor and there's plenty of room for fallibility and the magic. Um, <laughs> there would be nights where I would go to punch LeFou and instead of getting whoosh, you get like the beast's roar <laughs> or, or you get some other strange sound. And so of course the LeFou would still have to react to it. So like more often than not, and I'm not lying, at least once a week, it would be roar <laughs> as he would go back. And it was just so ridiculous. It was just so ridiculous. And then I remember there was one night where we were moving from the castle into Gaston's pub. And, oh, are you there? Uh, there yes, we, go. we hear okay, you. Sorry about that. So we were moving from uh, 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 the castle into Gaston's pub. And nothing happened. So the entire company comes on the stage and we start that whole thing about who, who does she think she are you guys there we can still right. hear you yeah that's great so hold on because for some reason my mother is trying to call me <laughs> and it's getting in the way love technology all right so we all get out there and it's that whole thing of who does she think she is? She's dealing with the wrong man. And like we're waiting for the set to come on as it always does because that's what happens. It's this lovely, nothing happens. So we're all standing <laughs> in the mystical <laughs> castle and we're waiting for the bar because we're supposed to be leaning on the bar. There's nothing to lean on. We're in the middle of a castle. So there's like the beast's throne in the middle of the stage. So I just sort of lean on that, waiting for people to come out. So we start into the damn song. Gosh, it disturbs me to see you, Gaston. And I'm sitting, instead of in my chair, in the beast's throne. Oh, my God. So we're doing our choreography. Everyone else is just sort of standing around because there's nothing else to do. And no one's stopping the show. No one is saying, gee, maybe we should take a break. We should drop the curtain. We should switch set. No. So then we get into no one's died like Gaston. No one's died like Gaston. One by one, just the crew starts walking out and like picking stuff up and then carrying it off the stage. So literally, we're singing our song, and this is literally happening. (laughs) And like guys are just crossing the stage the whole time. And then we get into a clink line, but we don't have the mugs. Because oh, they never got out there. Yeah. So we're all just sort of, hey, with our fists. And we're <laughs> high-fiving each other because there's nothing else to do. Whoa. As, but slowly, they're bringing out all of our stuff. So they manually bring out the bar. They manually bring out my chair. They manually bring all of this stuff out. Finally, we get to the end of the reprise. Gaston! And that's when the actual drop ends up coming in to then immediately have to go out because we're finished. Oh, my god! Wow. So we literally did this entire number. Without props. 
with nothing while they're changing the set. So when they finally finished it, it's time to go. Oh my gosh. Wow. You know, I wonder, so that's the magic. That's yeah, incredible. That's the magic. I, I wonder if there was a few people in the audience who literally thought that was just a part of the show. <laughs> oh, trust me. No one thought that was a part of the show. There was no way to mistake that that was not a part of the show. Uh, yeah. But hey, everyone that has a ticket for that night has an incredible story. Right, right. Sure, absolutely. Listen, our opening night of 9 to 5 in Los Angeles, our set broke down. Right on my entrance, our set broke down, and our set was, like, huge, and I didn't think it needed to be that huge. Um, and I remember when myself and Megan Hilty were supposed to be coming on, like, my office sort of came together like that, <laughs> and it got to here, and it stopped. Oh, oh no. So our entire, and, and it's all choreographed, it's all on a ladder and on a couch, and I'm going after her and flipping over her and my desk, and none of that. <laughs> none of that was on stage. <laughs> Opening night in Los Angeles. Oh. So Megan and I stood out on a black, empty stage, because no one stopped the show. <laughs> and we did the whole number, and we just improvised. We improvised physicality, we improvised staging, there was no other choice. And then once I finished the reprise to that, then they brought the curtain down. And then for 45 minutes, Dolly Parton put on a one woman show to cover them trying to fix everything. Oh my God. Wow. That's incredible. So, so you got a Dolly it, Parton so, concert instead of a night. Long yeah. answer, I prefer a simple set. A simple yeah. set. Yes. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I know that it would probably put you through some hoops having to, to deal with those uh, different things that would happen. But I think at the very end of it, you probably thought, okay, even though that was insane, that was kind of a cool memory and, and something fun where I, as an actor, was able to improvise and get through the show. There are moments that I've had that are improvisational that I will always cherish and love. Yeah. Uh, not a set breaking down. Those <laughs> things are never anything that anybody wishes for yeah. because... There's, you know, I mean, it's technical and there's danger involved, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, like, I remember when we were doing long stories. I'm sorry about this. No, no. we but love there, long stories. When we were doing Thoroughly Modern Millie, there was a night, and this is my favorite, absolute favorite moment that I've ever had on a stage, I have to say. Uh, I was already sitting out there. It was sort of like what we called the Scooby-Doo scene. It was the scene where myself playing Trevor Graydon and Millie Sutton and Jimmy, uh, Gavin Creel, in, in like a 45-second period of time, figured out the whole plot of the show. <laughs> like literally, just between the three of us, for whatever reason, we suddenly <laughs> figured out the plot of the show what's going on. And we called it the Scooby-Doo scene because of that. And I'm already drunk at this table, and then the two of them come in, and we set up everything that's going to happen to the end of the show. So we're like sort of in one, as they call it, because there's this big oleo in, and right behind us, we have Mrs. Mears um, and Muzzy uh, to, to get moving in their scene, and our information sets them up. So... Sutton and, and, and Gavin come out and they're really giggly and I have no idea why, but they are. They're already in this place that's like, what's going on, guys? <laughs> and we try to do the scene, and but they're both giggling through their lines and I just was like, what's going on, guys? And then Gavin just opened his mouth to say his line and bust out laughing hard, <laughs> like really, really hard. Now, 
Sutton Foster is the type of person that when she cracks on a stage, she folds into herself. She literally was sitting at the table and like just folded her entire <laughs> body and became like this ball. So then I started to laugh because there was nothing any of us could do. So now the audience is really laughing. So did they think it was a part of the show? No. No. <laughs> We couldn't get going again, so I got up from behind the table, I walked to the front of the stage, I looked at them both, and I said, switch seats, we're going back. <laughs> and Sutton just looked at me and went, you, to the be I said, to the beginning, we gotta go back, we're going back, we gotta go back. <laughs> because it was like no one was gonna hear the information of this scene yeah. if we didn't do it again. That makes mm -hmm. sense. That definitely makes oh, sense. Oh my God, it was amazing. And so the audience, of course, went crazy. And so I just looked at them both and I went, okay, are you guys ready? Okay, white slavery. And then we went back <laughs> into the scene again. Oh my God. And then just ran off the stage at the end of the scene like the, the, the bad children that we were. That <laughs> was for sure my favorite moment of like a screw up kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good that one. That was so great. great. That was brilliant. That was so much fun. And, and yes, we, we, we got in trouble for that. I'm sure you did, yes. <laughs> Um, going back to Beauty and the Beast, just for some of the themes, because I know this this show has, like the film and the show, they have so many of these like iconic themes of like beauty is found within instead of on your exterior, and to yeah. not judge a book by its cover and stuff. Were you just, like, how did you go about, like, I don't know, kind of playing the character that you're like, beauty is on the outside. <laughs> judge me by how I look. When you're oh, well, I mean, look, Gaston speaks for himself. <laughs> yes. The great thing, look, I, I, I mean, I've spent my career sort of playing the foil, not the villain. I don't like that word. I think that that word is already judgmental. I mean, mm -hmm. if you go into something saying, I'm the villain, then you've already, like, sort of judged your character. Mm -hmm. You're the antagonist or you're the foil, you know. Um, that way you can always take your character side. Um I mean, Gaston is who he is, and he's a joy. And, and the fun of playing a character like that is, is you get to make fun of yourself. <laughs> you know, Gaston is outside of Belle. Belle and Gaston, think about this. They're the only two characters in that play who are visually themselves. Everyone else is something else. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is wearing some form of a mask. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Except for Belle and Gaston and Maurice to some degree. Right. Mm -hmm. But like those are the two characters that really just represent a person. Mm -hmm. So it's fun because you are. You're poking fun at yourself if you're playing that role. And you're also sort of letting your own demons fly. Um, and that's the joy of playing that, you know, like um, – there are people like that that are selfish and self-involved and need the bolstering of other people to make themselves feel better. And I think anytime you play a character, there's no apology for those things. Like I remember when I was doing the show, they were always like, Mark, Mark, Mark. They loved the darkness and my edge. They were like, your act two is amazing. We need you to lighten up act one. We need you to lighten up act one. You know, because I like going to that place. I like going to the ugly, which is honestly just like the truth of who mm -hmm. people can be. Yes. So playing Gaston was never hard in mm -hmm. any way, shape or form. I enjoyed it, but I also, 
wanted to dive into mocking myself, mocking that type of person, because it's truthful. You know, it's not a cartoon. Mm-hmm. There are people out, I mean. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know. There are, there are. in our government right now. Yeah, so. there are definitely people out there like that. And I actually, you know, stemming from that, you obviously had a great time playing Gaston and you had a great time um, in Finding Neverland and you've been in so many different productions. Is there another role that you've played that you just said, I had a total blast doing this? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, Hand of God, mm-hmm. which I know is, is, is sort of like outside of the uh, Broadway realm in terms of musicals. Uh, it was a play that I did last year. Uh, with puppets. Oh, wonder- <laughs> yeah. With a puppet, um, with five of us, uh, a brilliant play, a brilliant play, a brilliant cast, uh, for sure one of my favorite roles, um, because again, he, uh, the character was very gray, the character was funny in a very uncomfortable way, um, uh, it was very easy for the audience to want to judge him, and then feel the audience go on this odd journey and arc with the character and not know how they were supposed to feel about him, mm-hmm. which was perfect because I didn't want anyone to have any specific notion of how they should feel. Right. Uh, I loved that play. Uh, I loved doing it. Um, uh, I mean, I loved doing Assassins. Assassins was a, a brilliant, uh, I, uh, probably the most exciting moment I've ever had on a stage was the first preview uh, because I opened the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when uh, our first preview on Broadway, you could cut the air with a knife. I've never experienced that feeling before or since. And, you know, because that was such a strong statement uh, about our country, mm-hmm. uh, I loved that. I loved that play. It was brilliant. I mean, but you know, Millie, I love playing Trevor Graydon. Um, that's a role I'm really proud of. I've done a lot of work for Michael John Lacusa. Uh, I'm proud of everything that I've ever done with Michael John. Um, it's brilliant. And again, the characters that I play, just deeply unsettling. I would say that Jackie in the Wild Party is probably the darkest character that's ever been in a musical before. So sad, 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 and scary, and frightening. And I watched people you know, walk out after certain things I did in that play. Wow. Wow. Um, Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, the theater is a place for a community to come together and share politically incorrect ideas in a socially acceptable way. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's a great assessment. Look, it's what I believe in. Not everybody believes in that. But I think that entertainment should also be deeply engaging for it to really be, in my version of it, real theater. Right. Um, and I'm like, unfortunately, we're getting low on time, so uh, we're going to have to be letting you go here. But, I mean, I could listen to your stories Oh, my gosh. For hours. So <laughs> wonderful. So, thank you so much thank for, you so joining much for joining us. us. Is there any, I know you're in uh, Billions at the moment. Is there anything that you want to tell us about that or any other upcoming projects you have going on where we can find Well, you? sure. I mean, if it, Billions is awesome. I love that show. I love my role. He's ridiculous. He's sort of a version of Gaston. <laughs> uh, and it's a brilliant show. If you haven't watched Billions, you have to watch Billions. It's one of the best shows on television. It is definitely the best cast on television. I mean, I am so proud to be a part of that thing. Uh, I have met so many of um, 
um, my peers that are icons to me doing that show. It's been amazing. I'm in Amsterdam right now doing this brand new opera called The New Prince, which is deeply, deeply political. Uh, it's wildly exciting, and I love the world of opera. Modern opera is doing things that I truly hope Broadway will get back to doing. Mm. And if you've never been to Amsterdam, this is an awesome town. <laughs> I love Amsterdam. So cool. Amsterdam. Oh, I'm going to go through a mild depression when I come back to the States. <laughs> That's great. Uh, do you want to tell the uh, folks at home where they can find you on all social media so they can stick with you in your career and see where they can get to you next? And get tips I mean, about sure. Instagram. I, on Twitter, I'm at mkuds. <laughs> M-K-U, yeah, yeah, is that right? Yeah, M-K-U-D-S. I think that's how you spell it. I don't know. <laughs> Just go there, I guess. That's 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 where I like to hang out. Um Anything else, just, you know, Google. Google is the answer <laughs> well, That's great. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. We loved your stories. They were very, very Oh, sure. My pleasure, guys. <laughs> Anytime you're in L.A., feel free to come in and join us in person. And have a great night there in Amsterdam. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that was Bye. amazing. He had so many cool I know. stories. You know, one of my favorite... I know we got okay. away from Beauty and the Beast so, there, but... Well, was... he's so fascinating, and he's done so many things. Like, when I was looking up, uh, you know, I, I knew he was in Assassins and a couple of other things, but when I was looking up his full history, I was like, fuck, he's been in so much. Um, and 9 to 5, and he mentioned a whole bunch of them there, but... Um, Gaston is one of my all-time favorite characters, mm -hmm. and I think it's because what he said, where it's like, here you have a character, you have a character that represents real people that we see, and it's kind of poking fun at that that kind of person that really exists. So there's there's like a level of um, being able to relate to that situation or scenario. Definitely. Right. Um, we didn't get a chance to do a kind of our diva song there. And I know that there are since we have me. all these different songs. Me. Me. <laughs> me. Is that yours too? Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so what's your favorite song from the Broadway show? Uh, I love Home. Home? Home, yes. Yeah, mine's definitely Home and If I Could Love Her. If I Can't Love Her, sorry. Could. And I gotta say, Human Again in, in the play that I did, I love that song. Aww. And I had like, I forgot the line, but Chip had this little line where he says something and I just, I, I love, that was like my one little part in it where I could really just let go and I don't know, I just, I love that song as well. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit. I'm going to skip doing the Tony Award video this week because just for time's sake, we'll put it up on our Twitter so yes. you guys can all watch it. But um, I want to get a little more into like the costumes and themes before we have to end here because I think that, one, the costumes in the show are amazing. I mean, they won the Tony Award for Best Costume for a reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, those themes are so resonant. I mean, I think that's why so many young children love Beauty and the Beast is because, like, we're all a little quirky. Yeah. We're all, like... I was a book nerd, and I always got made fun of for it. Like, so it gave me like a feeling like I belonged somewhere. Oh, absolutely! And, and I think the great thing about the costuming, it, it kind of feels like a timely, a time period type of production. But you really can't pinpoint what time it is. Mm -hmm. And it's also it kind of goes along with the fashion of the area. You know, you're in Paris, you're in France, and it's it's a little bit over the top and very colorful, despite the fact that they're in a gloomy 
you know, location. They're in right. a gloomy castle and all these dark stories. They are very colorful beings. Exactly. And, really and that's such that. a hard job for that costume designer to, like, bring in what <clears throat> all of us know from the movie. Yes. But then also kind of transform it in a way. Mm-hmm. To me, yeah. when I, I saw I saw a touring cast um, that came through L.A., not, not the original touring cast, because... Um, I was much older when I ended up seeing it, probably like 2008 or something. I don't know. Way later. Anyway, um, one of the things that struck me was having really loved the animated film, seeing that brought to life through costumes, Mm -hmm. having their interpretation of what this would look like. And I was really excited. I know. I mean, especially that number, the their BR guests. Oh my God. It's amazing. When when we post the the, uh, Tony Award, they do it in there. It's, so beyond big, like larger than life, but huge. Yeah. Um, which is actually what some of the critics had an issue because they were like, oh, it's like a spectacular but not a good theater show, which I totally disagree with. I think it's an That's, amazing theater show. When when you're watching when you're watching the Beauty and the Beast play, you want to feel like you're Belle at the table with the dinnerware, like performing for yeah. you. And that's exactly how I felt mm-hmm. when I was watching it. Definitely. And having Cogsworth, like even Cogsworth, be like, not the kick line. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Because you know we have we had to change it somewhat, obviously, because you know you can't do what you can do with drawing or film on stage, as he said. And like even with the costumes, like as he was saying, like I read so many of these huge injuries like uh, Beach who played Lemire had like burns his hand caught on fire and he didn't even realize <gasps> it because of like all the adrenaline stuff and like oh Terrence God. Mann who played the Beast had, was like nodding at him to like your hands on fire because oh, he had to gosh. carry around these propane tanks oh my uh, god! and like Belle's costume was like 45 pounds or 75 pounds or something like that I wrote it down but yeah it was like That's ridiculous insane. the ball gown like one. they had to right. take it off oh. of her and put it into the rafters like they had to attach something and have it pulled off of her because they couldn't change her out of it oh that my is gosh. insane it's crazy like wow and just and be our guest is one of those things where it's like everyone comes together mm-hmm. and it's all the characters and imagining how all of their costumes are so like hard to move around in, but they just let go and they all were such a huge part of it. And just knowing that out of all the restrictions that they may have had with moving around, they made this spectacular that it was just like everyone's included, everyone was going crazy. It, it's, it's insane. It takes a lot of dedication and a lot of practice and rehearsal to be able to pull something like that off. And I mm-hmm. think that they, they've done it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to give a nod to all the actors in this. They were all so spectacular um, dealing with all like I mean it was probably so much fun but you know dealing with these costumes and with obviously set mess ups and all this stuff like you yeah. have to be on your A game mm-hmm. I mean yeah definitely and I've been part of two different productions for Beauty and the Beast and on set usually be our guest is the big biggest technical setup mm-hmm. because every time we we would finish a show and we have to do a reset it, it would take us 45 minutes just to reset the stage just to do that number again when it was like a Sunday matinee when you do two performances in oh, a day. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great to have everybody, and it is quite the spectacle, but it's on the technical end, it's also huge, too. Yeah, I feel like this whole play is a technical feat. That's one of the I mean, other things. I mean, but you kind of have to. Yeah. Like, Dis- you're Disney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Disney, like, this was, I believe, their first show. It was. It was their first play. So they had to yeah. come out, like, banging like they're known for their like stuff in their parks and in their mm-hmm. films so they had to like make it a huge spectacular yeah. thing especially for the, all the kids because all the kids going are going to want to go and feel what they feel when they watch the movie exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny because when I was watching, I was watching the animated show with my boyfriend last weekend, and I was like, "This is how they do this like technical effect when they do the play." And he's like, "Stop! I just want to watch the movie." Right? <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah. 
Well, I know we're out of time now, and we're going to be talking the film, both films, cartoon and the new film next week, which I will have seen by then. <laughs> um, but where can we find you guys one last time before we leave? One, two, three, Jackie B on all platforms. And two hours from now, I'm going to be starting our RuPaul's Drag Race recap for the ninth season. Yes, ninth Ooh. season. All right, and you guys can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Mr. Dakota T. Jones. I'm also going to be covering Once Upon a Time tonight with Marissa and also Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Yes, and you can find me on Twitter at Serafini TV and probably singing home sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Love it. And you guys can find me at BFIPS14 on Twitter and Instagram, BFIPS1214 on Snapchat. Um, and later in the week on Wednesdays at 7 p.m., I do Speechless After Show on AfterBuzz TV, so look for me there. And we'll see you all next week. Yes. Bye. Bye. Producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.